Welcome to True Crime Mysteries, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart of the world's most gripping true crime stories. I'm your host, Megan, and I've spent years researching, investigating, and seeking the truth in dark corners where most people dare not look. Each week, we'll delve into a new case, peeling back layers of mystery, law, and human behavior. Together, we'll explore the intricate webs woven by those who break society's most sacred laws. We'll cover cold cases, missing persons, and recently uncovered serial killers, and instances where DNA has identified a killer. Join us as we journey back in the past, bring decade-old cases to life, and explore the dark, tragic, and inexplicable. And maybe find a light of justice at the end of the tunnel. This is True Crime Mysteries. And today we're discussing four cases of abducted children who were found years after their disappearance and reunited with family. Let's get into it. Case number four, Paisley Schultes. It was on July 13, 2019 in Cayuga Heights, a small community located on the outskirts of Ithaca, New York, when a custody battle turned heated. At the center were four-year-old Paisley Schultes and her older sister, who was already school age. The older sister was picked up from school by her maternal grandmother and aided by a social worker and police escort. They headed over to the biological parents' home to get Paisley, but when they arrived, the home was empty. The parents, Kimberly Cooper and Kirk D. Schultes Jr., had long since been believed to be the abductors of Paisley, and several properties were searched, but no sign of the child was found. They had lost their custody battle when a babysitter came forward with some concerns about the children's well-being in the home. Kirk Schultes was later arrested and charged with possession of methamphetamines and heroin. Prior to the abduction, Cooper and Schultes had already lost two daughters in infancy prior to Paisley's birth. However, their causes of death are unknown, though it is speculated that this has also contributed to them losing custody. The babysitter also alleged that the girls were often taken with their parents to work to dangerous job sites. They owned Schultes' paving, and if they couldn't afford childcare, they just brought the girls with them, often as late as midnight and without supervision. She also alleged that both parents used illicit substances while caring for the girls on the job, operating machinery, and while driving. Law enforcement repeatedly questioned Schultes Jr. and his father, and both had been adamant that they didn't know where Kimberly was and that they believed she had taken Paisley to Philadelphia. Officers had been allowed voluntary entry to the homes nearly two dozen times, but they weren't allowed access to search the basement or the bedrooms. No sign of Kimberly Cooper or Paisley was seen over the next 24 months, and until new evidence was brought forward, law enforcement had their hands tied. On Valentine's Day in 2022, an anonymous tip was called in and reported a sighting of Kimberly Cooper, and she was at the home of her father-in-law. Law enforcement secured a search warrant for the whole property and descended. Officers had been searching for an hour when one detective noticed something not feeling right about a staircase that descended to the basement of the home. He inspected further and noticed that the stairs had a small crack that revealed something inside, and using a flashlight, he saw what appeared to be little feet underneath. The floor was ripped open and revealed a small makeshift opening dug into the foundation of the home. The room had a dirt floor, was wet, and smelt of mold and human waste, and a pile of filthy, soaked blankets, 
was Kimberly Cooper holding her now six-year-old Paisley Schultes. Kimberly Cooper, Schultes Jr., and Sr. were taken into custody and charged with felony custodial interference in the first degree and a misdemeanor endangering the welfare of a child. Cooper also faced additional felony charges related to the abduction. All have pleaded not guilty. Paisley was taken to the hospital where it was said that she was deemed healthy and returned to the care of her maternal grandmother and older sister. Our belief is that each and every time that law enforcement and the authorities went to the residence looking for the child, that the child was put into that location, probably with Kimberly, to hide so that they would not be found. Experts have said there's still a long road ahead for Paisley's journey. She hasn't been to school, she's quite behind in terms of learning, and has had a very limited experience from being confined to one house for so long. It isn't believed that Paisley was confined to Under the Stairs, and she did have her own bedroom within the home. The Under the Stairs was simply used as a stowaway area to wait out whenever law enforcement came to the property. Law enforcement said on the matter, quote, I understand as a parent, no one wants to lose custody of their children. But sometimes the right thing for us to do for our children is the hardest thing to do for our children. What they should have done in 2019 when custody was granted to a third party, they should have relinquished the child rather than run and hide. Case number three, Kayla Unbihan. An episode of Netflix Unsolved Mystery was the reason that now 15-year-old Kayla Unbihan was reunited with her father after being abducted in 2017 by her mother, Heather Unbihan. Back on July 5, 2017, the then 9-year-old was abducted from South Elgin, Illinois, after a scheduled visit with her mom. Heather didn't have full custody of Kayla and had been during one of her weekly visitations that she fled with Kayla. Heather had told friends that she had a camping trip planned with Kayla, and neighbors recalled seeing her packing her vehicle with a bunch of things. When Kayla's father, Ryan Azurka, went to pick her up, the duo was no longer there. Heather had expressed a desire to live off the grid, and had already been in violation of their custody agreement when she took Kayla out of state without the court's permission. A felony kidnapping warrant was issued for the pair, as well as Heather's car, but they weren't immediately located. Heather's phone and all of her social media had been deactivated, and it seemed as though it had been a well-thought-out abduction. For six years, Ryan Azurka worked tirelessly to find his daughter. Her cold case was briefly featured on Unsolved Mysteries in an episode dedicated to parental kidnapping cold cases. Her picture had been only on the screen for four seconds, but it was enough for a local store owner to recognize the now teenager. While at a shopping mall in Asheville, North Carolina, on May 13, 2023, Heather and Kayla were approached by mall security. When law enforcement arrived, the pair gave false names. The pair were detained until they were able to positively identify the pair. Heather's been held in custody on a $250,000 bond, and Kayla was reunited with her father. What's most unusual is the ability to stay off the grid, if you will, for that period of time. Um, typically, we leave a technological breadcrumb, and uh, those are usually uh, very easy and quick to be tracked down. Ryan Izerka made this emotional statement to the media, quote, I'm overjoyed that Kayla is home safe. I want to thank the South Elgin Police Department, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and all the law enforcement agencies who assisted with her case. I also want to thank all the followers on the Bring Kayla Home Facebook page who helped keep her story alive and were instrumental in spreading awareness. 
We ask for privacy as we get to know each other again and navigate this new beginning. Heather Unbehun is being extradited to Illinois, where she is expected to be charged with felony child abduction. Case number two, Richard Wayne Landers. Richard Wayne Landers Jr. was only five years old when he was abducted in 1994 from Woolcottville, Indiana by his paternal grandparents. Landers Jr. appeared to have always lived with his grandparents along with his parents, but when the two had split up, Landers Jr. was the subject of a long and bitter custody battle. Ultimately, temporary full custody was awarded to his mother, Lisa Harder. There are reports that Harder had been homeless, but at the time of the final custody hearing, she had secured an apartment and was equipped to take custody and care of her son. However, the grandparents disagreed, and the morning they had been mandated to hand over Landers Jr., they took off. For two decades, the case sat cold, with neither Richard Lanyard Sr. nor Harder having contact with their son. The grandparents, Richard and Ruth Landers, had a warrant out for their arrest for the abduction, but they weren't heard from for years. And over the years, his parents never gave up hope on finding their son. His pictures were sent out locally and nationally multiple times throughout the years, and charges against the grandparents were elevated. On the 20th anniversary of the abduction, the cold case was reopened and law enforcement obtained Richard's social security card. It was discovered that a man in Minnesota was using the same number with a different name, but the same age and birthday. Only weeks after the anniversary, a 24-year-old man was identified as Richard Landers Jr., now married with children of his own. The grandparents were also found living in Browerville, Minnesota, and had been living under assumed names. Upon their arrest, they confessed to being Richard and Ruth Lander. It appears that Landers Jr. was, or at least is now, fully aware of the situation and has forgiven his grandparents. He believes that they had the best intentions for him and believed that they did the right thing for him. The grandparents were not charged, as the original charges were dropped in 2008. The community that the three had settled in were shocked by the news and stated that the family had kept to themselves mostly and were quiet. Both of the parents of Landers Jr. have made contact with their son and are working towards moving forward with cultivating a relationship. The father has told the media that he forgives his parents and is just grateful his son is alive and well, and he still has an opportunity to get to know him. Richard, what's the next step for you? To get in contact with my son. Absolutely. And people who say that that you did not have a relationship with him, that you were completely out of the picture, that is incorrect, right? That's incorrect. And I have court papers here to show that. I paying visitation. I had to do that with my own parents, you know, just to pay visitation to them to see my son to take him away from the house. I rode my bicycle from Elkhart to Wookieville. I paid a taxi from Elkhart to Wookieville just to go see my son. This is one that I look at and see every day. And most of the time when I look at it, I don't see a, I don't see a picture of a kid that's out there because most of the time these cases don't end like that. Most of the time the child is no longer with us. I'm just thankful my boy is still alive, and I'll still get a chance to see him. Case number one, Sabrina Allen. 
It was in 2002 when Greg Allen's life changed forever. On the trail of what had been a messy divorce, an even messier custody battle for his four-year-old daughter Sabrina, things had just started to look up. Greg, an engineering scientist, had been granted primary custody, and after months of fighting with his ex-wife Dara, things had just started to get easier. They were falling into a good routine, and the parents were beginning the road to cooperative co-parenting. Greg brought Sabrina to her mom on April 19, 2002 for the weekend. It had been agreed upon that Dara would return Sabrina on Sunday evening, but she never showed up. Greg recalled the last goodbye before the drop-off, and Sabrina had looked up at him and said, Daddy, don't ever forget me. At the time, he thought it had been a silly little exchange, but it turned into an almost sinister warning. In the early stages of the divorce, Dara had often threatened to take Sabrina away. Dara was from Mexico and had wanted to return there with Sabrina since the beginning of their divorce. When Greg was granted primary custody, the courts had agreed that Sabrina would stay in Texas. There had been several wild attempts during the divorce to convince the little girl to lie in order to be granted protective orders from Greg. Sabrina had even been taken from school once by Child Protective Services when she allegedly told a social worker, My daddy hits my mommy. That's a lie my mommy told me to say. Greg called the police two hours after the time of drop-off had passed. He'd made several attempts to reach Dara, but all efforts went to voicemail. But by then, it was too late, and Dara and Sabrina were long gone. In addition to the police and Texas Rangers, Greg also hired a private detective. They tracked their whereabouts to the Texas-Mexican border, and they were able to confirm that Dara and Sabrina had purchased bus tickets to Mexico. Greg alerted all of the missing children's agencies and started his own website to generate tips. He also took a leave of absence from his job and went to Mexico City, where he tried to search for his daughter himself. Greg quickly learned that his lack of Spanish skills was holding him back, so he enrolled in an immersive Spanish class to learn the language as quickly as possible. Greg had been in Mexico for almost a year when he got his first solid tip. A teacher reached out to him and said that she'd met a student who she believed was his daughter. She was blonde, the same age, and didn't speak much Spanish. She'd been called Blanca because of her fair hair, and the teacher said that Blanca had been extremely distressed. She would get upset because she didn't understand the other children and begged the teacher to help her find her daddy in Texas. Only then did the teacher look online and see Greg's website. She had looked Greg up and was shocked to discover that Greg was only 30 minutes away from his daughter. Greg bought the information to the U.S. police and officers in Mexico, but because of the need to coordinate, by the time both agencies worked out a game plan, Dar had taken Sabrina out of the school and relocated. Greg was devastated, but continued the search for his daughter. He stayed in Mexico, took every opportunity to get his case in the media, and offered a $20,000 reward for information. Greg eventually remarried. He had fallen in love with the woman teaching him Spanish, and the couple married after three years. They now have three children together. Twelve years after his daughter had been kidnapped, there was a new tip brought in from one of the private investigators Greg had hired. They located Dara in a small town outside Mexico City. They staked at the apartment for two weeks until they confirmed what appeared to be a teenage girl in the apartment. She had dark hair and was now 17, but showed no signs of physical harm. This time, officers moved quickly. They arrested Dara and had Sabrina. 
she was put on a plane and sent back to the U.S. Sabrina had not gone to school since 2003, had her blonde hair dyed dark to conceal her identity, and had not been allowed to leave the apartment for fear of being recognized. Dara had undergone several operations to also change her appearance. Sabrina was not immediately released to Greg and his family. She underwent extensive therapy to work through the many traumas she'd experienced for the last 12 years. She'd been confused and frightened about the relocation, and the years of hearing bad things about her father made her not want to see Greg. In fact, she'd been told he had committed suicide and abandoned her. I'm going to ask her if I can give her a hug. She, uh... She's in pretty bad shape, is my understanding. The last weeks have been quite a roller coaster. Um, you know, are, are they going to get away again? They've gotten away so many times, um, but they didn't get away and we're here. So now we're really focused on what needs to come next. Eventually, with family trauma counseling, they were able to rekindle their relationship and Sabrina moved into Greg's home that he shared with his wife, Mariana, and their children. Dara was extradited back to the U.S., where a judge sentenced her to six years in prison for aggravated kidnapping and interfering with child custody. Dara's sister also testified against her sister, citing strange, unhinged behavior, such as writing to their elderly mother pretending to be their deceased father. Greg said in a statement, quote, Sorry for all the silence, but we have been necessarily focused on healing. The past year has been quite a roller coaster ride, but I like to think that we are past the hardest parts. I'm happy to report that I have a strong and growing relationship with my daughter, and we still have trials ahead, but we are doing well. Well, folks, we've reached the end of another gripping episode here on True Crime Mysteries. Thank you for joining me as we delve deep into the complexities of today's case. Before we go, let's not forget the human element in these stories. The victims, their families, and sometimes even the perpetrators are all part of a larger societal puzzle that we're trying to understand. While we explore these cases, it's crucial to remember the impact on real lives and communities. If you want to keep up with our weekly investigations, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you are captivated by these stories as we are, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Your support helps us bring more unsolved mysteries and untold stories to light. With that being said, stay curious, stay vigilant, and most importantly, stay safe. Until next week, good night.